Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by black offenders. It is a podcast that anyone and everyone is welcome to enjoy, but it may not be enjoyed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. I'm Kayla. And I'm Kristen. And this is Black True Crime. If this is your first time here at the show, friend, welcome and hello. Give me a high side. How is it going today? What is it giving? <laughs> What's it giving, y'all? We're really excited to be back. Sorry we've been MIA real bad, even on social media, but it's going to get better. I'm just letting this pregnancy like fatigue take me over. And child, we have to get back from the tour fatigue as mm-hmm. well. And I also went to Vegas for my baby moon last weekend. That was really fun. If so. you saw her Instagram, she looked adorable. <laughs> okay. Thank you, sister. So today, today's case is pretty sad, pretty dark. And I'm excited for it to get back to our roots. Ooh. It's probably going to be a longer case, but that's okay. So are you ready? Let's get into it. Okay. I didn't write an intro again. <laughs> But that's okay. All I need you guys to do is join us this week as we discuss the man known as the Cedar Grove Killer, Shreveport's first serial killer, Nathaniel Code. Ooh, Shreveport, we've heard of you before. You're back on the map. Yeah, Shreveport, Louisiana. Mm. So let's talk about Nathaniel. Nathaniel Robert Code Jr. was born on Monday, March 12th, 1956, in Shreveport, Louisiana. Kristen, what do you have for us this week in regards to Black history? It's been a minute, bitch. Right. You guys, I'm back with the BHS segment. I'm super excited. And today we're going to talk about Anne Lowe. Now, for those of you who don't know, Anne Lowe is the first recognized Black couturier. Mm. Couturier, what does that mean? It means she's basically the first recognized black fashion designer. Wow. Yes. Now we know that all, we all know that back in the day, black inventors, intellects, mathematicians, and political activists spearheaded many amazing concepts and creations, but failed to receive any homage for it. Mm. This was also true in the world of fashion. We are going to highlight Anne Lowe because one, she's dope. Her sense of style was absolutely different in her age and her time. She was timeless and beautiful mm-hmm. now Anne was once just a little alabamian granddaughter of slaves um, but they actually had a family business where they were seamstress and her family's business created pieces for the likes of alabama's governor and state dignitary now Lowe herself took off as a fashion designer so much that she designed jacqueline bouvier's wedding dress for her 1953 marriage to then senator jfk Oh, she so she did Jackie O's dress. That's who Jackie Bouvier, I'm guessing, is. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that was her maiden name before she married mm-hmm. JFK. That is so cool. So she actually made her dress for her wedding and several other dresses. They were phenomenal, and one of them actually exists today in a museum. I believe it's the Smithsonian Museum. So if you guys want to take a look, I will definitely send Kayla some pictures so she can show you all. Yeah, I'll include those on Patreon for sure. Dope, sister. Thank you so much for that trip down history lane. Yeah, shout out to Ann Lowe. Shout out to Ann Lowe. Okay, now back to this case, Nathaniel Code. Nathaniel was born in Shreveport, and he was born in an area called Bel Air that was considered a pretty rough neighborhood. His parents were married when he was born, but not for long because when he was only six months old, they divorced, and he would go on to be raised by his great aunt, Josephine Code, and his grandpa, William Code. Okay. The grandparents, shout out to grandparents, y'all. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about grandparent William in a little bit. Growing up, Nathaniel went by the nickname Junior and was noticeably different from other kids. How so? His family members said that sometimes he would stop in the middle of a sentence and then like stare into space for a while and then continue his sentence right where he left off. Oh, like he was literally hearing somebody else speak. <laughs> right. Or having a separate conversation. Yeah, that's what it was giving. Okay. Oh, and he also 
was one to set animals on fire. Not on fire. Yes, there was record that he doused an animal. I didn't see what type of animal it was, but he doused it and then set it on fire. Oh, sadistic from the beginning. How dare he? And to make things even worse, there were also rumors going around that Nathaniel was responsible for the death of a well-known neighborhood pedophile that went by the name of Granny. Granny? Yes, Kristen, Granny. As in what we call our deadbeat grandmother. So is he a female pedophile? Well, no, she. it's a man. Mm. He used to give the neighborhood kids alcohol in exchange for sex. Oh. And people like in the neighborhood fucking knew this. Where was the disgust? You know, that public outrage? I don't know. That but... I literally feel right now. Exactly. It was the 60s. So who the fuck knows? But yeah, he was doing that knowingly. And after Granny's death... He was bludgeoned to death. People in the neighborhood started calling Nathaniel Granny Jr. Oh, I know. That's messed up. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a, mm, we know what you did, but we like can't a, prove it. So yeah. we're not going to really say anything so about it. So we're just going to troll you instead. Exactly. And there was never enough evidence to actually charge him with anything. So it just was a rumor at that point. Nathaniel didn't graduate high school. He dropped out during ninth grade. And then he started living with his uncle, Johnny Boyd. So, in 1971, listen to this. Yeah, just listen to this. When Nathaniel was just 15 years old, he was shot four times by his uncle Johnny during an argument. Oh, my gosh. His uncle shot him. Four times. Yeah. Yeah. He managed to run four blocks before he fell in the street and two policemen found him. Wow. What the heck? What type of culture does he come from where his uncle is just shooting him up what kind of argument was there to be had i mean good lord and i also feel like this is kind of red flags because maybe nathaniel went through a lot of abuse early in age maybe he was being abused by his uncle johnny or also that creepy ass motherfucker granny you know what I'm saying? So maybe that's kind of where he started building up his anger and all this hatred in his heart that he would show later. Yep, that's a fact. Or maybe his uncle saw something mm-hmm. that, mm. you know, kind of was like, oh, he needs to die now type uh-huh. stuff. Maybe he was the aggressor because it's possible that Nathaniel was the one that, you know, created the situation. But his uncle did go to jail, I believe, for attempted murder. He was arrested for this, so maybe there wasn't evidence to show, like, hey, I was acting in self-defense. But also, who's going to believe a grown man saying he was acting in self-defense against a 15-year-old? Exactly. So, either way, I'm really not mad his uncle went to jail. Shouldn't be shooting up no 14, 15-year-old, period. Who knows the real situation? Either way, Nathaniel's still here. And maybe he shouldn't have been. I'm about to say. Don't know if that was a great thing. Just four years later, in June of 1975, I think it was 1975 or 1976, I read it both ways, Nathaniel was charged with the aggravated rape and burglary of a 20-year-old girl. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Period. So before his life even starts, he's like, what, 20 years old at that point? Okay, so there's a lot of red flags here. Oh, yeah. From him possibly murdering mm-hmm. a pedophile, mm-hmm. which, you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> to then having this altercation with his uncle where he's yes. getting shot up. Yes. To now being a rapist, a convicted rapist. Correct. This which is, is a crazy. horrible start mm-hmm. to his life. Mm-hmm. And he would only end up serving eight years of the 15-year sentence. He was let out on good behavior. What the? I don't even think that's something that should be used, especially when crimes are this violent and this heinous. Keep that motherfucker in there. I was about to say, definitely depends on the crime. Right. Because it's like you don't have access to your victim pool. So, of course, you're going to be behaving better. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was released in 1980. And after his release, he was really struggling to find work in his hometown of Shreveport. He was working like, you know, odd jobs, mowing lawns, house sitting for old people, things like that. But he eventually got a construction working job and he found himself a woman. Okay. And who was she? Her name was Vera Code. Mm -hmm. And the couple got married in 1986. So at that point, he seemed to be living, you know, as a reformed convict, or at least that's what people thought, because little did they know Only months after being released, 
Nathaniel would start his life as a serial killer. And depending on what you believe, start his life or continue his life, we don't know. Because if he was killing people as early as Granny, who knows if he killed anyone else after that? Right. Granny could have been his first. He Mm -hmm. got his first taste there. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Exactly. So now we're about to get into the horrible sadness that Nathaniel would do and cause. On Friday, August 31st, 1984, at around 8 a.m., 25-year-old Deborah Ford was found stabbed to death in her own home on East 74th Street in the Cedar Grove area of Shreveport. Oh, no. Someone, and we know who the someone is already, it's fucking Nathaniel, broke into her home, tied her up with an electrical cord, then gagged her, and then stabbed her 18 times. Like, for what, Nathaniel? For freaking what? Right. He really made her suffer. She was basically hogtied, and then he stabbed her multiple times and then dragged her across the room where she was stabbed more times in the chest. Wow. And she was still alive after all of that, and that's when he slit her throat. My God. And he sliced through her carotid artery, her esophagus, almost down to her spinal column. So she was basically almost decapitated. So you know this was a slow forceful drag of the knife across her neck absolutely it was later described as like going in a sawing motion yeah just heartless treating her like a piece of actual meat that you throw on the stove and buy from the store according to investigators the attack lasted about 15 to 30 minutes and her official cause of death was loss of blood good lord so she felt everything right she was I don't want to know. I don't know if she was conscious, but I mean, going through all that and still being alive, suffering, just torture. I wonder if he knew where to hit her where, Mm -hmm. you know, she wouldn't die. That's a great comment. I don't know, because from what we know, this is his first kill. Mm -hmm. So maybe not. And maybe he was just being gruesome, didn't care if she died and in the middle of it or not because as you will see there's a pattern of overkill Mm. when it comes to nathaniel rest in peace rest in peace to deborah deborah had moved into the cedar grove home after her father gifted it to her so she was like a young woman she was getting her life started and her family was like here let's give you this to have a place to start like girl in the black community mm-hmm. you getting passed down anything yeah. is like a blessing and rare right and, and this, this is in the 80s right and then we're in the 80s mm-hmm. and this man comes into her newfound home and right. takes her life yep that's it's exactly tragic. what happened yeah and like the house wasn't the in the best shape there was some work that needed to be done and her family was like don't move in there until it's fully secure and dad does some upgrades and just things like that but Deborah was a strong independent woman okay she was a type to play touch football with the boys and she could bench 150 pounds mm, so she deborah. wasn't nothing to play with oh deborah 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 yeah and she felt like she could take care of herself at the house and her two children she had two daughters a nine-year-old and a five-year-old that thankfully weren't there the day that the attack happened thank god mm-hmm so the day that it happened on August 30th, Deborah took her two girls shopping and returned home around 9.30 p.m. And the dad of her youngest child came to pick the girls up to take them to their grandmother's house for a sleepover. While helping the girls get ready for the trip, Deborah noticed that the bathroom window was opened. Mm. Now, this was strange because Deborah's house had been burglarized recently, so she asked her dad to nail her back door shut, you know, nail outside screens on the door, just make it safer. Right. And this window was open. So she closed it, put a wooden stick like vertically in the window frame to try to keep it from opening. But obviously it didn't help. Now, at this point, we don't know if he was already in the house or came in later. But we do know it was through that window. Like people really be running into people's homes and taking their things Mm -hmm. and taking their lives. Like Mm -hmm. This is disgusting. And then the creepiest part is like staying in there for an extended amount of time. I don't even like being in nobody's house while they're there and feeling comfortable. How can I feel comfortable with them? Not? I just, no, bitch. It just takes a certain type of creepy individual. Unhinged, for yes. sure. Mm-hmm. So we know that Deborah talked to a few people between 8 p.m. and 12.30 a.m., and that was the last time she was heard from. 
Nathaniel even stuck around. So after the police were called and they came to the scene, cordoned it off and everything, you know how people usually crowd around and try to see what's going on at the scene. He was a part of that crowd and he stayed there and was looking and talking to people about it and stuff. He's just fucking sadistic mm-hmm. and enjoying every minute of this. Yeah, bro. Adorable. So adorable. Hog style, hog tie Deborah. Deborah's thick. I know. That's why I feel like Nathaniel must be like a taller guy, stronger. Yes. On the stronger side, at least. Because, yeah, De- Deborah wasn't going to go down without a fight type of thing. And I hope she fought. Me too. The coroner, Dr. George McCormick, said that he felt the killer was either already a serial killer or would soon become one. Mm. Mm-hmm. Based on the amount of control, he could clearly tell that the killer wanted over his victims. Specifically, the way that Deborah was tied up and how the killer used the knife to stab and cut her. So he was just like basically filleting Deborah's body, you know, and he felt like that was a tactic of like wanting to be able to control what was happening to her and what she was feeling. Yes, almost like experimentation too, mm-hmm. which means you know he's going to do it again. 100%. This this coroner was really on point with a lot of shit that he was saying and we're going to get to it. Police would later find three latent palm prints at the scene and a thumbprint on the bathroom window sill that would later be found to match Nathaniel. Well, which means, yes, he did get through that doggone bathroom window. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't even using gloves. And I don't know how much he knew about the justice system at this point, because let's be real. He was in prison for eight years, so I'm sure he learned a lot. But he wasn't even using gloves. He didn't really care. And the scary part is he could have gone on a lot longer doing all of this stuff if he didn't slip up and do what he did. And we're going to get to it. But he could have really been one of those notorious, long-running, evasive serial killers. Wow. Yeah. Nathaniel would soon be unemployed because in 1985 he attacked a co-worker at work because they couldn't agree on what to listen to on the radio. Ew, Nathaniel's unhinged. And very, it's giving immature, childish, wah, wah, I want what I want. Mental. (laughs) Unstable, for sure. So he was fired for his behavior. And now that he has more time on his hands, he's homicidal. And he's in a financially desperate situation. I mean, what could go wrong? Everything. Absolutely everything. Almost a full year later, on Friday, July 19th, 1985, Four people were found dead in a home on East 72nd Street, which was only a few blocks away from where Deborah was found in her home a year earlier. A whole year later. Yes. Jeez. So so we don't know if he was killing him between that time. We don't know for sure. I'm going to talk about it toward the end. But knowing how Nathaniel is, we don't really like know him. But from what we can see already... I feel like he was going to have a hard time stopping. Right. So, In, Unless he has an extreme amount of patience and self-control. Right. And we're kind of going to talk about that too. The killer was able to gain entry by forcing open the back door in the home. 37-year-old Vivian Cheney, her boyfriend Billy Joe Harris, her brother Jerry Colbert, and her 15-year-old daughter Carlitha Colbert were the ones that lost their lives. How did they all die by the hands of one man? Very good question. So basically what happened is he subdued the men first. So he tied them up. He had a gun this time that he brought with him because he was actually watching them. He was studying them. He watched Deborah. He knew that her ex-boyfriend had left a couple hours before I mean, he was aware of the movement and what to expect when he was going to these homes. So he was fully preparing for what he was going to do. And he clearly did not have fear of facing a man. Mm -mm. And with the gun, it made it easier for him because if you point a gun at somebody, it's way easier to try to get them to do what you want rather than using a knife. Right. So that's what he did. 29-year-old Billy Joel had been tied up, shot twice in the head, twice in the chest, And when he was still alive, yeah, after being shot four times, Nathaniel slit his throat. Jeez. Billy Joel. Billy Joel said, I'm fighting to stay alive. Oh, yeah. You're not taking me out without a fight. But I don't know if he was able to fight that much because of the gun, you know, that was clearly being pointed at him. And with him being tied up, I feel like he was definitely trying to just go with the flow and not fight too much. This is hurtful. 
really sad. 25-year-old Jerry had been shot in the head at close range while he was sleeping. So, yeah, he used a pillow to shoot Billy Joel so he wouldn't wake up Jerry. And then he killed Jerry after he killed Billy Joel. Vivian herself had been beaten and then drowned in the tub. So he's being very aggressive with the women. Yeah, he is. He didn't beat Billy Joel. I didn't see any evidence of an actual attack. So he just wanted to get rid of them. And it definitely seems like his anger is more so at women. Mm -hmm. And then 15-year-old Carlitha's throat was severely cut. And it was so severe that she was almost decapitated. Her pants were also on inside out. So you can already kind of guess what may have happened there. Wow. Fucking violation. So you're disgusting. Mm-hmm. You're you're a killer. Mm-hmm. You clearly have some type of hatred or curiosity towards women. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say hatred because the amount of pressure he's using to cut their throats. Right. Right. This is And this is an active, like sawing motion again you know so it's not just slitting it and hoping they die he's like really trying to destroy their yeah yeah so rest in peace to all of the victims and to make matters even more cruel everyone in the home was either visually impaired or mentally challenged no kayla yeah so some of the most vulnerable people on the planet went through some of the most horrifying ways to die and to make matters worse he knew he had to have known that they suffered from these things because once again he was watching them yep he watched them just sick so you're a predator mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter to you whether someone it can defend themselves yeah. or not right i think stalking is like the number one red flag or like deter i mean not determining factor but something that can be used to predict someone's behavior becoming violent that's a fact creepy as fuck surprisingly nathaniel let vivian's youngest children live so she had a 10 year old and a 7 year old daughter that were at the house when the murders happened but he let them live wow i know very very strange yeah very particular because Mm -hmm. 15 was what giving two grown right but 10 and 7 were okay that's what I'm thinking. Maybe he felt like the 15-year-old could identify him and the 10-year-old and 7-year-old couldn't. Maybe he ran out of time. I mean, who knows? The bodies were found around 6 a.m. on July 19th by Vivian and Jerry's sister, Shirley, who was in town to surprise the family. She got to the house, and when no one answered the door, she walked around back and heard the stereo playing, which was also something Deborah's killer did, which we know is the same person, but he left the stereo on when he left the house. Mm -hmm. the back door was open so she went in and found tamika and marla which was the youngest children they were sleeping in a bed and when she woke them up they were inconsolable and told her what happened and that's when shirley left the home with the girls and called the police oh no you mean to tell these babies were so traumatized that they could do nothing else but knock out yeah and she said they were sleeping hard as hell like it was hard to wake them up wow the trauma So upon a search of the house, relatives noticed multiple things missing from the house, like Jerry's wallet, food stamps, um, a food stamp ID card, pictures of the children, which is fucking gross. Ew. Right? A jar of loose change, and they assume he left with $100 as well because Vivian had recently cashed a check for $100. Okay. So he's robbing people now. Yeah. And not only killing them. Mm -hmm. Which shows his desperation for some money. Exactly. The same coroner from Deborah's case, Dr. McCormick, said that at this time he felt that not only were these four murders committed by one person, but they were committed by the same person that had killed Deborah Ford a year earlier. I'm here for this coroner. Their eyes are wide open. They are paying attention. And this is exactly what we need. Yeah, he needs a raise at this point. He's doing the police's job. Facts. For them. He said that these murders were an escalation from Deborah's and suggested that the killer lived in the area and may even be among the crowd that would gather outside of the crime scene. Like, damn, coroner, you might as well be a part of the BAU as well. He knows who Nathaniel is at this point. He is a professional profiler (sighs) or he knows Nathaniel personally. Like He's going above and beyond his current job description. Mm -hmm. And at this point, he should be being paid way more. Yeah, we're here for it. Here for it oscar washington was jogging in the area at around 2 15 a.m and saw nathaniel Mm -hmm. they even talked for a little while because they were familiar 
in with each other in the area because remember Nathaniel lived around here. Mm. So they talked a little bit and then the two went their separate ways. But 45 minutes later, Oscar said he saw Nathaniel again. And this time when they spoke, Nathaniel had a peppermint striped bag rolled up and tucked under his arm. Ooh, ooh. Now this bag is the same type of bag that was described as miss- being missing from Vivian's home. so he's already doing too much and basically he's caught at this point in my head right first of all what are you doing out here in these streets at 2 15 in the morning yeah oscar i have questions but he's (laughs) he is like a a national guard member so maybe his schedule is weird yeah you know how they are they're willing to wake up at any point in the day Mm -hmm. do what they have to do i'm glad he was paying attention though he was. And it gets even weirder. So Nathaniel decides to bring the bag from under his arm. And, okay, at this point, he's also covered in blood. Like, Oscar actively remembers seeing him covered in blood. Okay. hmm And Oscar was like, what happened to you? And Nathaniel told him, oh, I got in a fight. And don't worry about it because he, quote, come out on top and had gotten even. Mm. Yeah, after he just murdered four people. And he innocent come, people. He come out on top and got even. He, I know he snickered to himself mm-hmm. while he said that. Mm-hmm. You disgusting, foul human being. And he thinks he's so fucking sneaky and pulling the wool over people's eyes. I feel like he gets off on that too. Absolutely. He's just the worst. Honestly, one of the worst. Nathaniel even went as far as to open the bag and try to sell some of its contents to Oscar. Oh wow! Yeah. And Oscar wasn't like a sketchy person. He wasn't like looking to buy some random shit off of this random man. But he did look in the bag and he remembers seeing some food stamps, a food stamp ID that had blood on it, and then an eight inch knife, a gun, and some weed. Nathaniel, are you okay? No, he's not. Like you're literally not even trying to cover yourself at this point. No. And I need to know, like, the psychology behind killers that don't even try to get away with their their murders. Because there are some that are very protective of their freedom and want to be able to continue to do their things. And there are others that are just like, I'm going to do it and I don't give a fuck. Right. What is that attached to? Psychopathy? Like, what is it? Right. And with Nathaniel, it's almost like he's giving both. You know, the whole year of supposedly not committing any murders until this one but then now you give it all up to a dude running around a former national guard member you show him everything i know who do you think you are and police kind of theorize that maybe he stopped murdering for that year when he was married to his wife Mm -hmm. so after he got married he kind of chilled out and tried to be like a reformed man right right but who knows obviously didn't work because we're still talking about him and he didn't stop. Oscar claimed to run into Nathaniel again a couple days later. <laughs> and Nathaniel asked him, quote, what did you see me do? Mm-hmm. And Oscar told him, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. And in response, Nathaniel gritted his teeth and balled up his fists. Okay. Yeah. So we are dealing with a maniac. <laughs> a maniac to the umpteenth power talking about what did you see me do what didn't i see you have is the question you showed me all you had i'm like did he not know that he had blood all over his clothing and the bag that he had and then when he got home and noticed he's like shit oscar saw me and when he sees oscar again he's like you didn't see anything it's basically what he's trying to suggest i'm telling you it's giving like a lapse in maybe memory or a lapse in awareness and then he like comes back to it Mm -hmm. maybe he really has schizophrenia or he's dealing with another voice in his head or some type of dissociative episodes yeah it's possible and it comes up in conversation later in the episode but the reason why i wanted to note that oscar saw nathaniel again and then nathaniel did the gritting of the teeth and the balling up of the fist is because later oscar would end up testifying against nathaniel and he said he did the exact same thing when he saw him on the stand Mm, it's definitely giving child it's definitely getting stunted growth yes like i'm trying to intimidate you in like a you know like a seven-year-old would intimidate his little brother absolutely really weird Good for you, Oscar. Yeah. Another neighbor would claim that he saw Nathaniel staring at the Cheney house at around 5.30 a.m. on July 19th. So this was after he had killed them and before the bodies were discovered. 
Wow, Kayla. Like, when did they tell police this? I, I need to know because I'll tell you right now, he goes another two years without being caught. Good God. So when is all of this information being released to the police? Because he could have been arrested within a month. And if it was me, <laughs> as soon as I saw that blood, I'm telling somebody, yeah. you're not about to hit me up. Right. I'm the only one who's seen you with all this stuff. So you can come for me. Yeah. But to each their own, you know, self-preservation looks different for everyone, I guess. Mm -hmm. So police would later learn that the duct tape used during the Cheney murders chemically matched duct tape found at Nathaniel's home. Period. So the duct tape either originated from the same roll or separate rolls made by the same company. Right. But in this situation, it was professional grade tape that only plumbers and other professionals could access. And at the time of the murders, Nathaniel had recently worked as a plumber. Mm. So he could have easily, you know, stole a roll and went about his life. So, okay. Yeah. But something else that I thought was pretty fucking extreme was how the investigators treated the surviving children. What did they do? Remember 10-year-old and 7-year-old Marla and Tamika. Mm -hmm. They were medically diagnosed as being mildly mentally challenged, but were still pretty extensively interviewed about what happened that day. Okay. And they even went so far as to give them sodium pentothal to try to get the truth, like, from children. Ew. Are yeah. they joking? I know. They're already mentally challenged. Why in the world would you drug, drug them? them? Like, who is allowing you to do this? I don't know. Her parents weren't around anymore, unfortunately. Vivian was gone, and I don't know about the dad, but... They were pretty harsh, I will say. That's pretty crazy. Well, that pisses me off. Yeah, me too. Although the two girls would never officially testify, they were able to provide ins investigators with a description of the knife the killer used. Okay. A knife that looked very similar to one reported missing from Deborah Ford's house. Mm. Here Ugh, we go. This man, this man. They weren't considered credible witnesses, though, because they also reported that ladies broke into the house and were putting flies and spiders on Billy Joe's face. So Okay. It just All right. it took a weird turn. Well, you shouldn't have drugged them. Yeah. But with the description of the knife, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. They couldn't just make that up. Right. Mm -hmm. That means he kept that knife for a whole year. Right, right. Sick. Like, obsessive. And took it to the next scene. I mean, wow. Yeah, as if it was planned. That ain't your only knife. Mm -mm. It's pretty sick, actually. Didn't even notice that. So unfortunately, none of this evidence would lead police to Nathaniel for another two years, like I said. And this was around the time that Nathaniel would commit three more murders. And this time, they were very close to home. Mm. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Period. Are you the type of person that always overextends yourself for everyone else and then you just feel depleted and defeated at the end of the day? Yes. Are you the type of person that has to literally be reminded to do self-care, to take care of yourself because you're worried about everybody else? Mm-hmm. Honestly, friend, that's a lot of stress and pressure that you're putting on yourself. And not just yourself, your mental health as well. Yes, and in order to be your best self, you have to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So why not choose someone who can help you walk through your trauma mm -hmm. and your current day-to-day -day hell. Exactly. Kristen has even been using BetterHelp recently to help her with her daily hell. And Kristen, how's that going? It's going really good. Like, at first I thought it was weird talking about my problems to a complete stranger. But it's actually working out. And me and my therapist are bonding. And she does not judge me. And I can tell her almost anything. I love that for you, sister. And the best thing about BetterHelp is it's entirely online. You can use it whenever you need to. And once you get matched with a therapist, if it's not working, you can get a new one. So we highly, highly suggest that you visit BetterHelp.com slash BlackTrueCrime today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BlackTrueCrime. Okay, now back to the show. On Wednesday, August 5th, 1987, Nathaniel would kill his own grandfather. No. 74-year-old William. Oh, my gosh. He has no hold back. He has no respect. He's gone. I will say he's gone too far. I mean, obviously, he went too far killing anyone at all. Right. But this was like, okay, you definitely don't give a fuck anymore. About getting caught because yeah. they will clearly catch your ass. Well, we're going to we'll see. So he was found dead, William was, in his home along with 8-year-old Eric Williams and 12-year-old Joe Robinson Jr. They were the grandsons of one of William's friends that would stay with him sometimes. 
So now you're killing children. Yes. I mean, the 15-year-old, I think, counts as a child, but, but these, are, these are fully ch- children. children. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's no teenage, you know. No, these are kids. Mm-hmm. These are purely children, but they're boys. Yeah. Not like the two girls that he spared. No. And we're going to get to it. So William had been tied up with electrical cord and gagged before being brutally beaten and stabbed 13 times. He was stabbed five times in the chest and then seven times in the back. Mm. Eight-year-old Eric had been strangled to death while 12-year-old Joe was beaten and strangled. And they were found wearing only their underwear. Ew. Yeah. One of them, I think it was Joe. Ugh, this is so disgusting. He had bruising on his shoulders and collarbone. That suggested sexual assault was at least attempted by the killer. And then his underwear was also put on backwards. So you can already just think about what probably happened. This is disgusting. Like, it's almost like he's escalating with the murders. He never tried that before as far as on boys. Right. You know, and now look at him. He's killing children and then sexually assaulting them. Mm -hmm. You're becoming the very thing that you supposedly killed granny exactly exactly Kristen because I was saying I also saw in some places that he may have been bisexual so and I also saw someone word granny's sexual preference as being bisexual even though the negro was a fucking pedophile but you know maybe this is stemming from his trauma from what happened there Mm. the day before the bodies were discovered William Code was working in his yard with Eric and Joe until about 8 p.m. Their mother had given them permission to spend the night, so they were looking forward to it, and they seemed to spend the night over at Williams, you know, pretty often, so it was normal. The next morning, when the boys didn't return home, though, their grandmother became very concerned and went to Williams' house. The front door was locked, and there were steel bars on the windows, so she couldn't get in. And instead of the stereo being left on, the TV was. Mm. So she remembered hearing music while she knocked on the door. Okay. So he has, like, a calling card with this music thing whether it's to cover the you know killing going on inside or it's his own sadistic thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like his a part of his ritual Mm -hmm. when she looked through the window she could see the bound foot of 12 year old joe she could see that he'd been tied up and that's when she went back home called the police and then went back to william's house with some more family members and they were able to get into the home and that's when they saw all three victims all of which were found in different rooms my god and that's also something notable because in the cheney murders everyone was found in different rooms as well so that helps the police kind of try to put these things together right to see okay is this murder connected to the last especially since all these murders are happening in the same area even though they're a couple years apart Mm. dr mccormick once again the coroner surmised that there was one person responsible for these murders and that it was likely the same person that killed the Cheneys and Deborah. Is anybody listening to the coroner? <laughs> like, at this point, he knows what's tea, and right. he's the only one, apparently. Mm-hmm. He said that William probably let the killer in through the front door because he knew him and that the focus of the murders was William. My God. So, very personal Kind of gives you a really good place to start. Look at people close to him. And yeah, according to McCormick, William was severely beaten before being stabbed, mostly around the head. He was rolled back and forth while being stabbed because the killer wanted to inflict like as much damage as possible. So he would stab him in the front, roll him over, stab him in the back, stuff like that. Like, Kayla, are we joking here? This is like wild to know that this detail was included and the coroner could even tell that this is what was happening i mean it had to have been very apparent that nathaniel was intentional with doing that and then where does nathaniel even get this from i know to know that you know i want to cause this person the most pain so i'm going to inflict pain from the front and the back exactly it's crazy nathaniel also took money from this crime scene about four hundred dollars and he also took a gun Mm -hmm. And then a knife along with a set of keys were found in a storm drain about 600 feet from the home. So they were later determined to be belonging to William Code. Obviously, the killer put them there and they're just putting the pieces together. Right. A neighbor would tell police that he remembered seeing Nathaniel leave William's house on the night of the murders. And he thought that this was really strange because one, William always walked his guests to the door so he could make sure the security system was set up properly and all that stuff. And then two... Everybody knew Nathaniel wasn't invited or welcomed at William's home. Hmm. 
I wonder why. Well, get to it actually right now. The neighbor remembered overhearing a conversation two weeks prior to the murders between Nathaniel and William with William refusing to loan Nathaniel any more money because Nathaniel never paid his ass back. Mm -hmm. And then an electrician named John Huckleby said he remembers the conversation he had with William while installing the security lighting. And William told him that he was afraid of his grandson, Nathaniel, and told him how Nathaniel was constantly trying to borrow money in the past. Wow. Yeah. William. So you told a complete stranger how you were afraid of your grandson. Hence the gun. Hence the security system. Exactly. I mean, he was trying to do everything he could to protect himself. Oh, my God. And it makes my heart break even more because, according to the police, there was no sign of breaking and entering. Like, the door was willingly open to Nathaniel. So, it's like, William, if you trusted your gut, you could possibly still be here. Just sucks. So, rest in peace to William. Rest in peace to the boys, Joe and Eric. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. This is honestly really really tragic i mean Mm -hmm. nathaniel there's clearly something off of him Mm -hmm. that nobody is catching other than the freaking coroner i mean william knew but what could he do about it other than do exactly what he did yeah let's try to just create that distance and that space and protect his peace in his face and that didn't happen in this case So naturally, police want to talk to Nathaniel as soon as they can. And they didn't have to wait long because after the bodies were found, Nathaniel went up to officers on his own and introduced himself as William's grandson. So this is what he told them when he initially talked to them. He told them he got a call from William the day before the murders at around 1030 or 11 p.m. And he said that William was complaining about other there's like some random people hanging around the house and he was uncomfortable. So he wanted Nathaniel to come over and kind of help him with that situation Mm. bullshit off the rip especially if i know william was not letting this man in his house there's no way he was going to call him to try to help him with this situation and i'm so glad nathaniel was bold enough to do that because Mm -hmm. he doesn't even know the officers already have witnesses right talking shit about you yeah nathaniel arrived around 2 a.m on august 5th and claimed his grandfather let him into the house and then he did like a perimeter check to make sure everything was good and locked up outside And then he left on his bike. Mm. According to Nathaniel, he then came back to the house to check outside one more time later that night. And then he rode away on his bike again. So he's kind of explaining why the neighbor may have seen him looking outside and, you know, being around the house. He's definitely doing a good job of creating some reasonable doubt pretty early. Mm -hmm. So he admitted to being at home at the home on the night of the murders. Doesn't look good. And at least he didn't completely deny being there because that looks even worse. Right. They probably would have put him in handcuffs right that moment. Right. Because then you lying. Mm -hmm. Nathaniel later agreed to talk to police down at the station and provide a full statement since he was technically the last person known to see his grandfather and the boys alive. But once he started elaborating on that night even more, investigators started becoming skeptical of his story. Okay, good. For example, Nathaniel said that while in the home, he touched the vacuum, the fan, the humidifier, and the phone. And they're looking at him like, pretty weird to name those things specifically, especially when all of those objects had their electrical cords cut off of them and were used to tie and bind the victims. Okay. So why are you kind of snitching yourself? At the same time, he's trying to cover himself because he knows they're going to find his fingerprints. Right. But... You also cut the motherfucking cord, you mm-hmm. weirdo. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think, <laughs> as an investigator, you're like, get the fuck out of here when you hear that. Because the coincidence is just, it's too big to ignore. Right. It's alarming at this point. Mm-hmm. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Right. His fingerprints were taken and would later match fingerprints found at the scene of the 1985 Cheney murders. Woo-hoo. So, you're going to jail. Got you. Right. When investigators searched his house, they found cut electrical cords and professional grade duct tape. So there you go. The pieces are coming together. Finally. He was briefly questioned about the Cheney murders and was ultimately arrested and charged with the first degree murders of Vivian, Billy Joe, Jerry, and Carlitha. Righteous. Yes, absolutely. Now, here was the first indicator in my research that Nathaniel may have been a drug addict. Ooh. And his habit could have played a part in the murders. So... Apparently before the murders, like a day or two, Nathaniel had approached multiple people asking for a loan. 
He even told Chris, he even told Shreveport narcotics officers that he was willing to be a paid confidential informant and said that he knew some people that were selling drugs and just needed a hundred dollars to pay one of them back. Ew. <laughs> like Nathaniel, you're getting thirsty. Yeah. Like I'll snitch on drug dealers for you as long as you pay me so I can pay the drug dealers for the drugs. Cause I have a fucking habit. Like, and then you're a killer. So you mm-hmm. really are just really bold or just completely unaware of what's going on. And you know how drugs can get you. They can really mm-hmm. scatter your brain. They fuck with like your sense of self-awareness, self-preservation. So that's maybe why he was also really bold with the murders. He was actually doing cocaine at the time he was called about William being murdered. He was with one of his cousins named Beatrice and they were doing cocaine. Mm-hmm. Now, that's one thing I did not expect him being a druggie. Yeah. Should have, but didn't. I feel like we should have known that right. this is going to be a part of his story. But I guess we're so used to mental issues mm-hmm. being the main, I guess, reason why somebody's acting like a nut. Right. I didn't even think about the drugs. But oftentimes, it's coupled with drug drugs. abuse. That's like fact. extensive drug abuse. So stay away from that stuff, y'all. Y'all, crack is whack. He pleaded not guilty and decided to take it to trial in 1989. His defense team's only real chance at any type of anything was questioning Nathaniel's MO because information from the other suspected murders like Deborah Ford and Grandpa and the boys were allowed into the trial, which is, I don't know how you may feel about that, but Mm -hmm. the defense pointed out the differences to suggest that Nathaniel couldn't be responsible for all of them. Like he took money from two of the crime scenes, but not the other one. And he strangled victims and shot others. So since the MOs were different, there was no way he could be responsible. Boy, bye. He was, (laughs) call it trying his hand. You know, call it testing it out. Because he also sexually assaulted some of them, but not others. And stabbed most of them. Exactly. And when I read that, I was like, you guys are so fucking lazy with your defense. But it's also 1989. And I'm sure knowledge about how serial killers operate wasn't as extensive you know Mm -hmm. as it is now so i can understand why they were grasping at straws like this and at the same time like a lot of serial killers do have a similar mo Mm -hmm. you know so maybe even nathaniel is maybe throwing them off of his scent by trying so many different things yeah or maybe he was trying so many different things to see what he liked yeah what worked best for him and i think in this case the prosecution saw the changes in his mo as nathaniel kind of refining it Mm. and tailoring it to the situation like when he went to vivian cheney's house he knew that there were going to be strong men there so he brought a gun to kind of make the situation easier for him and easier for him to subdue them so i think it's just situational based for sure especially when he's just a killer like at this point he's just killing because he wants to and then if he gets money out of it then great right that's kind of how i see it They also pointed out that out of all eight victims Nathaniel was accused of killing, they suffered an extreme amount of overkill. Mm. When Nathaniel would slash throats, he would do it in, like I said, a sawing motion, creating the most painful, honestly messy scene that he could. Nathaniel was evil enough to even force Vivian to watch her 15-year-old daughter's murder. Wow. And the way that they know this is because he never admitted to doing any of this. He never admitted it. The way that they knew that this was true is because Vivian actually had a puddle of blood like soaked onto what she was wearing and it was her daughter's blood. So they could tell that she had actually sat in the blood of her daughter for an extended period of time. And then she was taken into the bathroom and murdered. That is so horrible, Kayla. Kristen, the level of sadism here, the level of just like wanting to witness human suffering. I mean, it's shocking the kill wasn't enough no it wasn't the sawing of the throat strangling all of that wasn't enough and maybe that's why he chose to kill the boys Mm -hmm. when he was at his grandfather's house because maybe all of that still was not enough for him so maybe killing children sexually assaulting them yeah he wanted to see that he wanted to experience that yeah disgusting just horrifying and i think maybe some of his more sadistic sexual thoughts were toward boys and that's why he took the opportunity with the boys you know joe and eric oh god my heart i hate this so sorry to the victims i hate this i hate this according to the prosecution engaging in extreme behavior of overkill satisfied nathaniel's need for control and domination over his victims 
They also had the coroner, Dr. McCormick, testify to what his findings and beliefs were and how the three separate attacks were connected. So they're kind of just building the case for them and saying, yeah, he was responsible for all of these. So therefore, he's responsible, has to be responsible for the four that he's being tried for today. I will pat that corner on the back. Like, I'm sure that corner was like, it's about time. Right. You know, corner is, he wants to see the killer himself because he's like, I know about you. Yeah. He's been reading for filth since the beginning. From, since the last three years. One. Right. 33-year-old Nathaniel Cole Jr. was found guilty of all four murder charges. And he would later be tried and convicted of the murder of Deborah Ford in 1984. But unfortunately, was never tried for the murder of his grandfather and the boys. No. Which I thought was really shocking to see that's actually really horrible yeah especially since it's the closest murders to him you know and there was eyewitnesses that saw him at the scene on the night of the murders and they saw no one else so i don't know and if there was sexual assault or could have been Mm -hmm. you know i wonder if they had his dna at the scene because we didn't mention that as far as we knew we had fingerprints at deborah's house Mm mm-hmm but no DNA was mentioned at being recovered at That's William's true. house. That's true. That's true. Other than his fingerprints, right? Because he was well, the his one... his fingerprints were found at the scene of the Cheney murders and Deborah's house. Okay, but I don't think that they were found at Williams. And yeah, I didn't read anything about that. So maybe you're right. Maybe they just didn't feel like they had enough physical evidence to bring it to, to charge him for the trial. Right. When it came to sentencing. For the Cheney murders, the only thing Nathaniel's attorney could do at that point was try to save his life, get him a life sentence instead of the death penalty. So they tried to find any mitigating circumstance they could, starting with his mental health. We haven't really talked about his mental health a lot. Like in the episode, we have speculated, but we don't know anything for sure yet. He was extensively tested multiple times and was found to be of normal intelligence. So You have got to be kidding me. He didn't suffer from any brain disorders. He no talking dis- to other things in his head. He can distinguish right from wrong. Everything that you need to be deemed as mentally competent to stand trial, he's good on. Kayla, shut up. I'm so serious. It became known that in 1975, Nathaniel was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, but some of the doctors who tested him for the trial said that this was not schizophrenia and that if anything, he had like an antisocial personality disorder. Mm. Here we go again with psychology not being a real map like, to a it. finite science. Yeah. Exactly. It's really fucking frustrating. It's literally based off of what the person or the right. psychologist, psychotherapist, whatever, says. How they interpret certain responses. Exactly. A clinical psychologist named Mark Zimmerman said Nathaniel had a borderline personality disorder and can decompensate into paranoid schizophrenia when he's under stress. Hmm. Yeah. Now that makes AKA sense. high as a kite because i'm like cocaine didn't do that cocaine did not kill all those people i am not blaming on solely cocaine there is something in nathaniel yeah that mixed with drugs or whatever wanted to do these things mm-hmm. and then even how he came back at oscar mm-hmm. and was like what did you see right you know it's like there's it just feels like there's something more there than personality disorder i agree I think there's something in him that wants to do what he's doing and then maybe his personality disorder is allowing him to be able to do it Mm -hmm. because he can disassociate from. And then we have to think a killer doesn't necessarily require mental health issues to be a killer. No. He could be sadistic as hell and be completely competent of what he's doing. A hundred percent. And Nathaniel may just be that. Yep. But doesn't know how to talk to folks. You know, that's a personality mm-hmm. disorder. Yeah, Kristen, yeah. There's just such a wide range of, like, what you could be dealing with while being a murderer. And you could be completely sane and still be a murderer. So it's just, it's hard. Another doctor did acknowledge the possibility, possibility that Nathaniel could have been psychotic while he was committing the murders, but didn't believe that he was currently psychotic. So I, I don't fucking know. What bitch. does that even does it matter? What, how many people have to agree to something before they're like, okay, this is the truth? Because at this point, everyone has said different things. But the majority consensus was that Nathaniel was not suffering from schizophrenia during or after the murders. Which means bump the mitigating factor. Right. So ultimately, the judge ruled that Nathaniel didn't have a mental handicap that justified him not receiving the death penalty. Ooh. Mm-hmm. A laughable mitigating factor that was mentioned was the fact that he had, quote, no significant prior history of criminal 
activity. We literally don't care. The only thing that we're ignoring is the fact that he went to jail for eight years and was sentenced to 15 for an aggravated rape and robbery. But right. Whatever. No big deal. Like, did y'all not look that up? Did you it's not just, see that in the system? It's just one charge that landed matter. him in freaking prison right. for eight years. Right. And it was extremely violent. Talking about no history. Like, okay. Okay. People just sit there and really lie. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's open to interpretation, and that's the fucking problem sometimes. There's no interpretation on that. There's paperwork. I and know, but you can still sit here and say, well, it's not an extensive criminal history because there's only one charge on there. Yeah, he went to jail for eight years, but this is- he doesn't have a jacket, you know? Mm-hmm. Stupid. So Nathaniel was ultimately sentenced to death in 1991 and sent to Louisiana State Penitentiary. Period. Mm-hmm. He naturally appealed his death conviction, and one of the main reasons he provided was the fact that evidence from Deborah's murder, as well as William and the boys, should have never been allowed into court. Which I almost, almost kind of agree with. I don't know how I feel about using crimes someone wasn't even convicted of, mm-hmm. like, against them in court. Right. Um, but with this situation, I can kind of understand why they allowed it, so... There's a case law article, it's number 412, and there's an excerpt, and this is the excerpt. Evidence of other crimes, wrongs, or acts is not admissible to prove the character of a person. It may, however, be admissible for other purposes, such as proof of motive, opportunity, intent, preparation, plan, knowledge, identity, absence of mistake or accident, or when it relates to conduct that constitutes an integral part of the act, or a transaction that is the subject of the present proceeding. So basically, everything. It can <laughs> it can't be used unless it's being used for everything. <laughs> like what the fuck? They listed every possible use of the information, but whatever. Like we can't use this to describe his character, but we but can exactly use this for everything, everything else. <laughs> so the judge obviously agreed and upheld the ruling. Period. Nathaniel would go on to have multiple execution dates, one as early as 94, one in 95, but his appeals process would always push the date back. Mm-hmm. But in 2004, Nathaniel was back in court because his lawyers were trying to get his sentence reduced to life, claiming that the death penalty was just cruel and unusual point, uh, punishment, especially since Nathaniel had been wrongfully diagnosed and actually was suffering from a mental disorder. Which was? So they're basically saying that when he was diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1975, he should have been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And because he was treated for the schizophrenia, that could have played a part in how his brain chemistry deteriorated into causing him basically to be a killer. Ooh, this is deep. Right. Because when you start saying medication has affected a person to make their psyche worse mm-hmm. instead of better. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's basically what the Atlanta shooter, the person that just shot up a place in Atlanta, I think killed like one person and injured like five or something like that. His mom is saying that he was given the wrong medication. So that's kind of I don't know if she's trying to use it to justify it or whatever, but she's just saying like this is his situation. But it's scary. Like those chemicals are no fucking joke and they can fuck you up. This is too much. Mm -hmm, mm hmm. So we're sitting here talking about it. You know, it is a conversation, but the judge wasn't trying to hear it. (laughs) And Nathaniel remains on death row as of the recording of this episode. Shut up. He's still alive. Yes. In 2013, he and two other death row inmates filed a lawsuit against the Louisiana State Penitentiary, stating that at time, at times, the temperature reached over 195 degrees. Damn. Yeah. Obviously, that can kill you. That's an oven. Basically. And when the victims' families heard about this, they were basically saying, like, tough titty. Uh, Albert Colbert Jr., who is Carlita's brother, remember Carlita's Mm -hmm. a 15-year-old? He said, quote, he lost all of those privileges that you and I have. He lost that air conditioning privilege. He lost that. The Colberts, we didn't put him on death row. He did that. When he decided to take my sister's life and my brother, my niece, Billy Joe, Deborah Ford, Mr. William, and the two little boys. He did that. Well, of course they're not gonna give a damn, you know. Right. He for for people who don't have that like super forgiving heart, yeah. like 
this is punishment. Right. You know, this is it. But 195 degrees, that's more than no AC. I mean, that's, that's a being human, cooked alive. That's a human rights violation. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a borderline murder. That's if they're allowing that to happen exactly. So they may need to fucking check that. Yeah. But the family was basically like, what they need to do is stop worrying about that air conditioning and start worrying about when they're putting him to death. Because Mm -hmm. at this point, it's been over 30 years. Yeah. That's a long time for him to be on death row. It's crazy. Like, what the fuck is the holdup? Honestly, Louisiana. I have no idea. Okay. So I told you guys how we kind of feel like he may have been killing still during that 1985, 1987, like, break. And it's possible that he was. Some police and other investigators believe that he's a suspect for the murder of 48-year-old Wes Burks and 20-year-old Monica Barnum, who were killed within a month of each other during the summer of 1985. And they suspect him of 54-year-old Johnny Jenkins's murder, who was found on February 21st, 1986, and 60-year-old Jake Mills, who was found on December 12th, 1986. So that would bring his victim number up to 12 people. Mm. Well, So, I don't know. It's possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, going a whole year before you murder again, and these murders are so gruesome. And you know what? There's two ways this way could go. Mm-hmm. He could have killed those people, mm-hmm. but he also could have, you know, held all that aggression in. Yeah. And then by the time he did kill... A year later or mm-hmm. two years later, he let it all out. And that's why there was so much overkill that we saw. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Because if we think about it, he killed Deborah, what, within eight months of getting out of prison. He got it out of prison January 1984, and Deborah was murdered in August. Yeah, August of 1984. Mm-hmm. He didn't waste much time. Mm-hmm. So I feel like at this point, he came out of prison knowing what he wanted to do, knowing what he was going to turn into because it's something he always was. So it's hard for me to think that he was able to control himself that much and not continue to take lives during that time. So. I agree. The only reason I think he could have is that distraction of him having a wife. Right. Yep. But they didn't have no kids, did they? No. And the thing is, they didn't get married until 86. So if anything, the last two murders, you know, of the men that happened in 86, maybe he didn't do that. And it would surprise me because it's not really in his wheelhouse. Like, I don't think he was targeting men. Mm-hmm. Um, but the murders in 85, you know, definitely could have happened. Definitely could have, could have happened. Oh, man. Well, I guess we'll never know because Nathaniel still claims he did none of this. Yeah, because Nathaniel's still trying to get life instead of death row. Right. He's not talking. And it's looking like they're giving him life without even saying it for real. Right. So I don't know who wins here. William Code and the boys, they definitely don't win because they don't even get justice for their cases. Nope. And it's really sad. They were young. And by the way, William was the man that raised him after his parents divorced and left him for dead. And this is and how this you is what repay you do? him. Right. Rest in peace to all of the victims. This is a really gruesome case. Yeah. They didn't deserve it whatsoever. And the fact that he could sit there and kill mentally disabled people, yeah. it just shows, like, this is a disgusting individual. He yeah. had no sense of morality. And right. if he did, he didn't give a damn about it. Yeah. I didn't see any uh interviews or anything like that with him so uh we don't really get to see his cadence and how he holds himself but it doesn't matter because he's a piece of shit and he deserves to be in jail and that is our case for this week i told you guys it was going to be a longer one trying to make up for last week's little short shinked it ink so (laughs) (laughs) we hope you guys enjoyed this case please let us know what you thought if you think Nathaniel is off his rocker and should be in somebody's mental facility, given these pictures, it's giving a little bit of, uh, yeah, 10 helmets. <laughs> it's giving a little bit of, I played a little too many games of football <laughs> and I have CT or whatever, CTE, you know, something. But yeah, let us know what you guys think. We love you so much. We've missed you. Can't wait to be back on our regular schedule, which is actually starting right now. So yay um and that's that's it yeah anything Kristen? no so okay before we go (laughs) be safe protect protect your peace and protect your space so we don't have to cover your case friend friend. (laughs) period Bye. bye
Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can stream all of our episodes on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and even Facebook. It's the best way to help the show grow, and it's completely free. For bonus content, you can find us on Patreon. And for more information about the show, you can visit BlackTrueCrime.com. See you next time.